Good morning. It's great to be with you here this morning at Trinity. Uh, I often uh, travel and speak at churches, and I don't always get to bring my family with me, but today I do have four of my kids with me. I've got my oldest two sons sitting here on the front row, and uh, two of my kids back in nursery and in kids' church, so uh, we are getting the full Trinity experience today uh, as a family, so great to be with you today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. How many, of you, um, how many of you remember your first job? Remember your first job? My oldest son just turned 16. He got his first job at Wegmans. Uh, so you can go there and hassle him uh, through the cashier line at some point if you'd like to. Uh, I, I was thinking, it made me think about my first job. Uh, my first real job was as, as a waiter at IHOP. And uh, I loved that job because I got to earn all of my money in cash. And I got to bring it home every day and feel it and touch it and count it. And the stack would get bigger as the week would go on. And uh, I could smell it. Of course, my money smelled like pancake syrup. Um, but it was a great smell. And to this day, when I smell pancake syrup, I think of those tips uh, as a waiter at IHOP. Uh, but uh, uh, my, it was, a, it was a, a time in your life when, when, for the first time, you have disposable income. Like, you can do anything that you want with your own money. And we've been teaching our kids about this from an early age. In fact, uh, when they want to do something that's a little bit more expensive, we'll say, hey, listen, we're going to help you, but you need, to, you need to put some sweat equity into this yourself. And so a couple years ago, uh, my kids said they wanted to go to summer camp. And uh, they decided that they were going to try to raise some money so that they could go to summer camp. So they created a lemonade stand, and they put it out there right on uh, Route 57, right next to Dunkin' Donuts over there in Bayberry. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you stopped there. I don't know. It's pretty infamous. They worked there for two days straight, and they brought home that first summer $600 in cash from a lemonade stand. They brought it home. They counted it all up, and then they threw it up in the air and let it rain down on them. And then they started to swim in it like they were Scrooge McDuck. Money, money is, uh, is something that we have an interesting relationship with, isn't it? We love to get more of it. We fret when we are low on it. We can never quite seem to have enough of it to make us comfortable. And I think the one thing we can all agree on is that we don't like talking about money in church. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's always the response I get. We don't like talking about it in church. Pastors and preachers, we don't love talking about money. We don't like talking about money. But God actually has a lot to say about money in Scripture. And so if he has a lot to say about it, then we need to talk about it as well. And Jesus talks a lot about money specifically because money is so intrinsically tied to the desires of our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this morning you are in a series as a church called Why We Gather, and uh, we're going to be tackling the topic of generosity this morning. We gather to give. We gather to give. And uh, as, as I uh, begin this this morning, let me uh, say this, uh, we're going to be addressing the topic of generosity, but generosity is a broad topic. We could talk about a lot of different aspects about generosity. And so this morning, we're going to narrow that focus to financial generosity. But understand today that some of these principles are broad and apply to all of the other areas where we can be generous as well. We can be generous with our time. 
We can be generous with our attention and with our care and with our hospitality, opening our homes. There's so many different ways for us to be generous. So understand that there is more to generosity than what we're talking about this morning, but uh, this is the narrow focus of what we're going to talk about today. Scripture has some very specific things to say about financial generosity, how we handle the resources that God has given us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read here starting in verse 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, we will lay up treasure. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Would you pray with me one more time this morning? Heavenly Father, today we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a generous God. And Lord, it's our desire as your people to reflect that generosity in the way that we live, in the way that we serve, in the way that we love others. Lord, and in the way that we handle the resources that you've given us. So Lord, today I pray that you would open our hearts to receive from you what your word says about giving. And Lord, that our lives would truly reflect the generosity of a God who loves us so much and who gave us everything. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know generosity is important to God? God is a generous God. And of course, it's easy for us uh, who are followers of Jesus Christ to understand the idea of giving. We give because God has already given to us. We give because Jesus has already given us more than what we could ever ask for or ever imagine. Jesus is the best gift of all, and God's already given so much to us in Christ. And so as Christ followers, we reflect the image of God when we are generous. Generosity, when we think about generosity, a lot of times we think of generosity as something that is maybe spontaneous. We feel the the urge to be generous in in the moment. We see a need and we want to be compassionate. We want to reach out and and we feel that in the moment. And I will tell you that generosity very often works that way. The Spirit of God moves in our lives and causes us to respond to different needs. But I would also say this, that generosity is a spiritual discipline. It is something that is meant to be a sacred rhythm in our lives, something that we do as a practice and a force of habit, even when we don't feel like it. And so uh, generosity is important to God, and it's important to God not just at the individual level, but also at the corporate level. It's important for the church to be generous together. When you give to and through your local church, you are synergizing your generosity for maximum impact in God's kingdom. When we give together as a church, we do more together than what we could ever do on our own. And so when we say we gather to give, it's not just talking about, hey, we all have to come into this room so that we can all give at the same time, right? You can give from your couch, you can give from your computer or your smartphone, right? There's so many different ways to give, but yet we come together, we're collectively gathering our resources to give together, to do as a church and as a body of Christ what we could never do on our own. We gather to give. And so this morning, um, I'd like to just uh, talk to you for a few moments about uh, the truths that we affirm when we give. 
I'd like to suggest to you today that when we engage in the discipline of kingdom-minded financial generosity as the local church, we are tangibly declaring certain things to be true in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at four of those truths. And so the first truth I want to look at this morning is this, is that everything I have belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. When we give, we are affirming that everything we have belongs to God. We're saying, God, you created everything. God, you own everything. God, you are Lord over everything. And so everything that I have comes from you. And everything that I have belongs to you already because everything is yours. King David writes about this in Psalm 24.1. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. And so if everything I have belongs to God already, then anything he allows me to possess is really already his and it's he's given it to me to steward. Financial generosity is a tangible, physical act that demonstrates to God that I understand his ownership, that I understand that he owns everything I happen to possess. You're probably familiar with this statement. Jesus is uh, teaching and preaching, and, and some religious leaders come to him, and they say, Jesus, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus' response to them is this. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what belongs to God. What's Jesus saying there? Well, he's saying a lot of things, but, but uh, he is saying this. He's saying, listen, when you pay your taxes, everybody's paying their taxes, right? That due date's coming up here soon, right? When you pay your taxes, you are acknowledging the authority of the government in your life. But he's also saying, when you are generous and you give to the work of God, you are acknowledging the authority of God in your life. You're acknowledging his ownership over everything that you possess. Everything we have belongs to God. Now, on a side note this morning, I will say this. Biblical financial generosity starts with the tithe. It starts with the tithe. 10% of our income from all sources devoted to God through the work of the local church. Now, I don't have time to do a full expository preaching uh, on the concept of tithing this morning, but I will say this. Tithing is fully biblical. It is affirmed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's affirmed by Jesus Christ himself. It's not debatable. It's there. It's in Scripture, and it's there for us to follow and to, to be a part of. And, and the New Testament model, while it may give us some different ideas about what generosity looks like, it certainly doesn't give us a lesser picture of generosity. In fact, it gives us a greater picture of generosity. The New Testament church models a generosity that goes well beyond the tithe. And so at the very least, at the very least, the tithe is the starting point for biblical financial generosity. Now that being said, God does not just care about 10% of what we have. He doesn't care about uh, just how we handle that 10% of our financial resources. He cares about all of it because all of it's his. In Jesus' parable of the tenants, he compares us to servants who are entrusted with a master's wealth and who are responsible for investing it wisely until he returns. And so we're meant to see everything we have as something entrusted to us by God for investment 
into his kingdom and his ultimate purposes. It's all his to begin with. Biblical stewardship then involves seeing all of our resources, financial or not, as gifts from God to use as he directs in our lives. I love what author Lynn Miller says about this. She says, stewardship is the act of organizing your life so that God can spend you. And so, and so for the Christ follower, generosity is actually a mark of ownership. When we give, we are saying, God, I belong to you. Everything I have belongs to you. Everything I have is yours. The second truth we affirm when we engage in biblical financial generosity is that we affirm that my heart belongs to God. My heart belongs to God. So not, not only is financial generosity about lordship, right? It's, it's, it's not just about acknowledging who owns my possessions. That's one side of it. But it's also about worship, acknowledging who owns my heart. I want you to hear me loud and clear this morning. God does not need your money. Are you with me? God does not need your money. He already owns everything. It's already all his to begin with. God does not need your money. God doesn't want your money. But what he does want is your heart. Let me say that again. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. God is not anti-prosperity and pro-poverty, but he does care about what captures your heart. And the truth is that Our hearts are often so easily led astray by finding security, power, comfort, and approval through money and possessions. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says a little bit later in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and God. And money, Jesus is saying that our, our money, our wealth, our possessions are directly connected to what we value and what we worship and what we trust to bring us fulfillment. God isn't concerned about how much money you have so much as he is concerned about how much money has you. And so the discipline of financial generosity, by its very nature, is meant to kill the idol of money in our hearts. To bring us to a place where our hearts' security, rest, provision, and fulfillment come from God and not from material things. John Wesley writes, he says, Money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. And so financial generosity is an act of worship. It's a direct counter to the idol of money and greed in our hearts, and it declares to God, God, my heart is yours. It says to God, God, what I have doesn't have me. You do. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. So when we participate and engage in the discipline of financial generosity, we're declaring that everything we have belongs to God, but we're also saying, God, my heart is yours as well. Thirdly, 
We're saying this. We're saying, God, you are my provider. God, you're my provider. Financial generosity at its core is an act of faith. How many of you know that that faith is more than just a blind idea or a wishful hope? Real faith is active and is meant to be tangibly demonstrated. And financial generosity requires real faith because it puts back, uh, it puts part of our very livelihood, what we need to survive and function in this world, back into the hands of God. It's saying, God, I'm taking what I need to live on and what I need to survive, and I'm putting it back into your hands and saying, God, I trust you to provide for my needs. I trust that you're going to be the one to take care of me. I trust you so much, I'm willing to give you back a significant portion of what you've already given me. And, and not, just, not just at random moments, but I'm going to do it consistently and as a discipline because I trust you. Not just when times are good, how many of you know it's how many of you know it's easy to it's easy to trust God and to be generous when times are good. But true faith is often most demonstrated in difficult times, in times of desperation, in times of scarcity. But God is very clear in scripture that when we depend on him, he will always come through. He will always come through. And not only that, no matter how much we give, he says you will not outgive me. No matter how much we give back to God, we cannot outgive him. I'm just going to read you a few scriptures this morning. There's so many throughout scripture where this truth is affirmed over and over and over again. But Proverbs 11:24 says, One person gives freely, yet, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. When it comes to the discipline of tithing, God says in Malachi 3.10, he says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many of you know you cannot outgive God? You cannot outgive God. L.G. Cherno says, I shovel it out and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. That's great. Martin Luther says, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. You might say, Well, Dan, I've tried to be generous. And try to be faithful with my finances and tithe and give. But Dan, God has not made me wealthy yet. And in fact, I still have some significant financial challenges. Now that may be true. That may be true. But I will tell you that scripture is very clear beyond the shadow of a doubt that God always gives us back more than what we could ever give to him. And in fact, he already has. And maybe, just maybe, what God wants to shovel back into your lives is better than money. My wife and her family grew up in the inner city of Pittsburgh. They grew up in a really poor uh, neighborhood, uh, really humble means. And uh, her dad worked really hard trying to 
support their family and worked overtime and uh, did everything he could to provide for his family, but he was trying to keep them in a school that was safer and, and better for them. And so that, that's where all of their resources went. And so they lived on very little growing up. But they were still faithful to tithe and they were still faithful to be generous and be faithful to give, even with what little they had. And, and this was their family prayer, and I love this. Their family prayer was this. They, say, they said, God, if you have it in your heart to bless us in some way financially, we're grateful for that. But God, would you instead bless our family spiritually? Whatever way you would have wanted to bless us financially, God, would you instead make that a spiritual blessing in our life, in our family? Isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that a great prayer? I can tell you that God has and is still answering that prayer over my wife and her entire family to this day. Maybe, maybe what God wants to shovel back into your life is better than money. Maybe what God wants to give you back into your life is something that money cannot buy. Maybe it's something that's going to last for eternity. Maybe it's something that's going to change your family and generations to come because of what you've done and how faithful you've been to God in your giving. Financial generosity declares that God is my provider, that he's the one that I can trust to take care of me above all else, and that I cannot outgive him no matter what. Finally, financial generosity declares that I value the life to come. That I value the life to come. Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. Why? Why does he say this? Because physical treasures on earth are temporary. They are fleeting they, uh, you can't take them with you in the end. Earthly treasures, they rot, they rust, they break, they go bad without fail. But what we invest into eternity, that lasts forever. No one on their deathbed ever said, oh, I wish I had earned more money in my lifetime. No one on their deathbed says, oh, I wish I had been less generous in my lifetime. We don't say that. Why? Because all of a sudden we begin to understand that there is a life to come that matters more than the life that's in front of us right now. And so financial generosity is a spiritual discipline. And it's a spiritual discipline with the intent of reorienting our hearts towards things that will last forever. And here's, here's an important truth for us to understand. The financial generosity of believers... Of, of Christ followers, is God's way of funding the work of the local church. How many of you know the work of the local church is a spiritual and eternal work? The work of this church that you are a part of is a spiritual and eternal work. And it's your financial generosity that empowers the work of the local church. The local church is God's plan for reaching the world. Jesus said, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The local church is God's plan for reaching the world. And this church and this pastoral staff and leadership team are supported by the faithful and sacrificial giving of Christ's followers. Now, of course, it's easy for us to look around and think about who else should be giving besides us, right? and how much we think they should be giving. It's easy for us to look at somebody else and say, oh, I know what kind of car they drive. 
they should definitely be giving more to the church. Or, oh, I know, I know what kind of job that person has. They should definitely be giving more to the church. And God, first of all, God doesn't ask us to look at anybody else. He doesn't ask us to examine what anybody else is giving. He asks us to examine what he has given us and how to faithfully steward what he's given us. And the other thing we need to realize this, and, and, and I'll tell you this, this is the God's honest truth. In all the churches that I've been a part of in my 18 years of ministry to this day, I have never once been a part of a church with a tithing millionaire. Not once. Now, Pastor David, it's, it's my prayer that the future of Trinity Assembly of God is blessed with many, many millionaires who tithe to this church and to the work of God here. I would love that. I would love that. That would be great. But here's, here's the truth, church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, if that never happens, it doesn't matter. Because the work of God is moved forward by the faithful giving and the faithful stewardship of regular people who have submitted themselves to the lordship of God in their lives, whose hearts are not owned by their money, but who are owned by God, and whose faith and trust and dependence are in the provision of God and not in themselves. This is what God is looking for from his people, and this is what he honors. Remember, remember, Jesus cared more about the few pennies that a widow put into an offering plate than, than all of the wealth of the religious leaders that, 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 that came after her. Jesus can do more with our little than what we could ever do on our own. When I was uh, in Niagara Falls as an executive pastor, it was my job to mail out the giving statements at the end of the year. None of the other pastoral staff knew what anybody gave or how much they gave or who gave what or how often, but I did because I had to send out the giving statements at the end of the year. And I'll tell you, it was always surprising to me in so many different ways. Sometimes I'd see somebody's name, somebody who I knew was highly involved and highly vocal and opinionated about the church and, you know, somebody who's a big influence in the church. And I'd look at their giving statement and I'd realize... Their treasure is in a different place. And then on the other side, though, I'd see names of people who I knew had very, very little. And yet they gave so generously. I think of this one woman. She, she was a, a single widowed woman who lived in downtown Niagara Falls. Her only daughter had passed away tragically and she had very little means. And She would get up every Sunday morning early and take the bus to church so that she could serve and she could be a part of the ministry team for the entire day. And then at the end of the day, she'd be one of the last people to leave and she'd get on the bus and go home. And I saw her giving statement that one year and I said to myself, dear God, she could have her own car from what she's giving to us every single year. The work of God is not is not funded by the wealthy. The work of God is not funded by the wealthy. It, it's funded by, by faith, the faithful stewardship of regular people who submit themselves to the lordship of God in their lives. People who say, God, I value the life to come more than my current comforts and pleasure right now. By people whose hearts are invested in changing eternity. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? And as we do... I'd just like you to begin to ask this question in the quietness of your heart. As you begin to think about your own resources, not anybody else's, but your own, what God has given to you and what he's entrusted to you, if all of that is laid out before you, 
Would you be able to say, is the way, is the way I handle my finances declaring these truths? Is the way I handle the resources that God is giving me, is it declaring that everything I have belongs to God? Is the way that I'm handling my financial resources, is it saying that my heart belongs to God? Is the way I'm handling my money saying that, that God, you truly are the provider in my life? And is the way we handle our resources saying, God, I value the life to come? And as you examine that reality within your own life this morning, I just begin to challenge you to say, God, where are you challenging me to grow in the area of financial generosity? Where are you challenging me to grow? Maybe, maybe you have never begun the discipline of tithing in your life. And that may be a big step. Maybe that may be a scary step for you. I encourage you, even if you can't take that full step today, that you begin to dip your toe into the water and start with percentage-based giving. Maybe start with 1%, 2%. Begin to dip your toe into the water. God is faithful. He's going to show himself faithful and true in your life. And baby steps to, towards obedience is still good. So begin to move in that direction. Maybe you already tithe, and maybe God is challenging you this morning to broaden your mission support. Or maybe he's challenging you to restructure your family budget so that you can say no to some good things so that you can invest in some eternal things. Ultimately, we understand that it's the gospel that informs why we give. We give because God has already given his very best to us in Jesus Christ. God has broken through our sin and our rebellion and our rejection of him by giving us his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we could be made right with God the Father. We cannot outgive God. He always gives us more than we could ever give him. In fact, he already has, hasn't he? Heavenly Father, today we thank you. We thank you that you are a generous God. And Lord, it's our prayer today that we would be a generous people in response to who you are and what you have already done and what you, who you've already given us in the person of Jesus Christ. God, it's our prayer today that the way we handle the resources that you have given us would reflect the hearts of people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. God, as we declare today, everything we have is yours. Our hearts are yours. You're our provider. And God, we value the life to come. Help us, Lord, to be generous people as we invest in eternity. In Jesus' name.